Hey, good morning. It's great to be with you today in the house of the Lord. Looking forward to sharing the Word of God with you in just a minute. We're moving into the second part of our family recipe series. I don't know if you've been catching those devotionals into your inbox from the tribe writers here at Lighthouse. Lighthouse tribe writers making sure that you have a devotional and Guess what? There is a bonus every time they're sending it. There is a recipe at the bottom of that page. And so you need to at least read enough to get down to the recipe. There's some really good stuff there, by the way. And mine hasn't showed up yet, but it will because I will be putting a couple of family recipes on there. And uh, um, you can uh, see why I gain weight, right? Because I got some family recipes that are really awesome. So uh, today we're talking about trusting the process, the importance of routines and structure in your family life. Um, I know every person on the planet um, doesn't come like pre-packaged or pre-wired for routine and structure. Some people fight it more than others. Some people have more difficulties than others when it comes to routine and structure. But a certain amount of routine and structure in your family is helpful uh, to, uh, to teach your kids and to help them to grow and to really get things accomplished. And so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. You know, Memorial Day, is a very, very special day. And so I've, I've been thinking about, as we were moving up toward Memorial Day, all of the different branches of the armed forces and all of those who have given their lives. And it made me think about the fact that basic training is uh, really uh, those, those levels, those, those uh, disciplines that get established, those routines, the structure that are responsible for taking, and, and this comes right off of uh, many pages of the, the military.com. If you just read it, they talk about how basic training is where children and individuals become an army of warriors, a, a united team of warriors that will protect our nation. How do they do that? They take them through basic training. They take them through boot camp. They take them through, they, they, they break down the individuality and they put on the routine and they put on the structure and then they say, now, you are going to function toward this mission and we're gonna move together as one. I was also fascinated when I read through the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, all of them have core values that go along with them. And, uh, and one, one thing that was a common denominator in most all of them was the term honor. That word is gonna show up in the message today. This idea of honor is in all of our military and, uh, and it also ought to be in all of our families, right? That's a family recipe ingredient that I'm gonna preach a whole message on somewhere down the line over the next uh, uh, few weeks. But I wanted you to get a hold of this idea that your family is basic training for life. Your family is boot camp for how your kids are going to live their lives the rest of their days. This is why the scripture says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's not saying that's a promise from God that, that totally denies your child's will. What it means is that when you put the right structure in their lives in the early phases, that becomes a thing that they will fall back on when they have a need. And so they'll, they'll move back into that routine and that structure. Um, so I want us to uh, talk a little bit about uh, the whole idea of structure today. And we'll get into the uh, scripture in, in just 
a minute. I want to talk to you for a second, a really inspiring story. I'm kind of on an inspiration kick over the last couple of days. And uh, I've been thinking about the importance of inspiration in our lives and how we have to be, uh, we need uh, inspiration in order for us to stay disciplined. A lot of times it's hard to be motivated, isn't it? It's hard to get motivated to exercise. It's hard to get motivated to eat right. It's hard to, if I ask you about any one of your disciplines, I talked to a guy today and I I could tell he had running shoes on and he had a running t-shirt on, you know, some race that he'd been in eons ago. I said, hey, are you a runner? Never, never met the guy before. You a runner? Runner? He says, well, you know, I used to run. I need to get back into it. I need to run, you know, and I could have repeated that whole conversation like I know I've said that numerous times and you probably have that way if I talk to you about prayer uh, after a few minutes you'd say you know what I really should be praying more or I really should be reading the word more that's a common statement when it comes to any level of discipline well I want to talk to you for a minute about a family that really inspired me this comes out of a book called Atomic Habits by a guy named James Clear. He's an author, and, uh, and he uh, did some research, and this is in chapter nine of his book. In 1965, a Hungarian man named Laszlo Polgar wrote a series of strange letters to a woman named Clara. Laszlo was a firm believer in hard work. In fact, it was all he believed in. He completely rejected the idea of innate talent. He claimed that with deliberate practice and the development of good habits, a child could become a genius in any field. His mantra was, a genius is not born, but is educated and trained. Laszlo believed in this idea so strongly that he wanted to test it with his own children. And he was writing to Clara because he needed a wife willing to jump on board, right? What a way to catch a wife, right? Clara was a teacher, and although she may have not been as adamant as Laszlo, she also believed that with proper instruction, anyone could advance their skills. Every good teacher should believe that. Laszlo decided chess would be a suitable field for the experiment, and he laid out a plan to raise his children to become chess prodigies. The kids would be homeschooled, a rarity in Hungary at the time. The house would be filled with chess books and pictures of famous chess players. The children would play against each other constantly and compete in the best tournaments they could find. The family would keep a meticulous file system of the tournament history of every competitor that the children faced. Their lives would be dedicated to chess. Laszlo successfully courted Clara, and within a few years, the Polgars were parents to three young girls, Susan, Sophia, and Judith. Susan, the oldest, began playing chess when she was four years old. What were you doing when you were four years old? I don't know if it was playing chess. I know it wasn't for me. Within six months, she was defeating adults. Sophia, the middle child, did even better. By 14, she was a world champion. And a few years later, she became a grand master. Judith, the youngest, was the best of all. By age five, she could beat her father. At 12, she was the youngest player ever listed among the top 100 chess players in the world. At 15 years and four months old, she became the youngest grandmaster of all time, younger than Bobby Fischer, the previous record holder. For 27 years, she was the number one ranked female chess player in the world. The childhood of the Polgar sisters was atypical to say the least, and yet, if you ask them about it, they claim their lifestyle was attractive, even enjoyable. 
In interviews, the sisters talked about their childhood as, as entertaining rather than grueling. They loved playing chess. They couldn't get enough of it. Once, Laszlo reportedly found Sophia playing chess in the bathroom in the middle of the night, encouraging her to go back to sleep. He said, Sophia, leave the pieces alone. To which she replied, Daddy, they won't leave me alone. The Polgar sisters grew up in a culture that prioritized chess above all else, praised them for it, rewarded them for it, and in their world, an obsession with chess was normal. If I were to ask, what are the obsessions in your home? What are the things that you are passionate about? If you could segue some of the things that you're passionate about and and recognize that if you're as passionate about God, if you're as passionate about worship, if you're as passionate about the word of God as other areas of your life, it would be easy for your kids to follow the Lord. Here, here, let me, let me just give you an example for a second. What if I said, what if I said that instead of religion, we were going to talk about, I don't know, soccer or football, American football, right? And, uh, and, and people are passionate about their team. So if I were to say, uh, what team does, does your family root for? And your kids could probably tell me right away. And, and the worship service would consist of what? Well, we, you know, we, we listen to the ball game, we watch the ball game, that's when we come together, it's about the ball game, we talk about the ball game and the players and all of those kind of things, we talk about them around the house, if we talk about the other teams, well, pff, we don't do those teams, um, it may, maybe it's not football, let's change it out, back when I was growing up, it was Chevy's Fords and Mopars, right? So were you a Chevy person? Were you a Ford person? Were you a Chrysler, a Mopar person? What kind of a person were you? Well, in my family, it was only this kind of car, and we were passionate about that. Well, your kids just picked up on it. You didn't have to tell them what to love. You just loved it. And by loving it, they picked up on it. And they recognized, hey, this is part of our, de- I guess we just, we're born, we're born Ford lovers in my family. I guess we're just born this way. All, all of our family members are Ford lovers. You know, whatever it is that you're passionate about, be passionate about it. But when it comes to the things of God, don't break it down so that you divorce the passion and just say, well, it's all about principles. You got to do this and you can't do that. Because the minute you lose the passion in the midst of it, you lose the ability to uh, bring your kids along in what it is that God has for them. Let me share with you from Ephesians chapter six uh, this morning. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Notice that word honor. Honor your father and your mother. That word honor is in the midst, just like uh, as we were talking about a minute ago, the military uh, all have honor mixed into their core values. Um, Let me talk to you a little bit about discipline in the midst of this. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 17. He who heeds discipline shows the way to life, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. Proverbs 12, 1. This one's even stronger. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, 
But he who hates correction is stupid, the NIV says. Proverbs chapter 5, uh, verse 11. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline. How my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. Now, we don't want that for our kids, so let's back up the train. Let's talk for a minute about the father's job. Now, the first part that, uh, that uh, Paul gives father's instruction about here is fathers, don't exasperate your children. In other words, don't provoke them to anger. Don't make them mad. And, uh, in, and anytime I see that there's a direct command, uh, particularly to men and women in the scripture, it's because they have a tendency to do one of those things, right? The reminder just earlier in uh, Ephesians, chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives. Why? Because sometimes we forget to, right? Um, you, know, uh, you know, wives, uh, be submissive to your husband. Why? Because sometimes they forget to. We, we need those reminders because there are some things that, we, that are just natural. We're just not going to do that unless we have that command. And so here are some reasons or ways that uh, fathers exasperate their children. Fathers exasperate their children when they don't engage them with uh, engage them enough emotionally. When we're emotionally distant from our kids, they can't get a read on us. They don't know where we're coming from. They and that that can cause a child to be angry because that connection they need that connection that heart to heart connection. And for a lot of us as guys, that's a difficult place for us to go. Some of us guys, our emotions really didn't get activated when we were younger. We didn't see uh, what our dads, the way our dads operated uh, emotionally, unless maybe it was anger. And so we don't want to do that. So instead of not doing that, we don't engage at all. And so guys, we can exasperate our kids if we don't engage them emotionally. Number two, they don't, we don't invest enough time with them. If you uh, are a dad, and you don't spend time with your kids, um, what's going to end up happening is uh, it's going to cause them to, to be angry and they won't even know why. You know, dad's gone all the time or when dad's home, he's not here. He's not present. Um, and so uh, we've got to recognize that love for a child is spelled T-I-M-E. We've got to be those, that person that has regular time with our kids and we work that into our routine. We'll talk about that a little more in a minute. Um, fathers that don't set standards at all for their kids, that will make a child angry because their kids are looking for boundaries. They're looking for what, where, where do I go and where do I start? Stop. Kids get emotionally, uh, they go off the rails. They need somebody to help them come back online. Number four, they create unattainable or age-inappropriate standards. Some, sometimes, guys, we, we, let, we raise a standard too high for our kids or too high too early, you know? And, uh, and so we have to be mindful of how, how old are they, what can they handle, what can they not handle. And number five, they change the, when we, uh, fathers, when we change the rules too frequently. Our kids will get frustrated if we say one day it's one way and the next day it's another way. Or, you know, we, we lay down our edict, whatever that is. Hey, we're always going to do this. And then next week we change our mind. And kids can't keep up. They, they want to please. They want to do well. They want to uh, please you, but they can't because you've changed your mind so many times. They can't keep up. They don't know which dad they have uh, right then. They're, then he says, instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That word bring them up is the same word used earlier for a man nourishing his own body. 
in the same way that husbands are, are uh, to look after their own, or you know, husbands and fathers look after their own bodies by nourishing it. Um, what he's saying is, when you make a choice, I'm, I'm going to do whatever my kids need to flourish, and so I need to nourish them. My uh, uh, spiritual father here in this house, Scott Erickson, used to say uh, to us in the staff, he said, a pastor's job is 90% feeding and only 10% correction. You, you got to do the 10% when you have to do it, the correction to get things back on track. But 90% of what we do is just feeding people's souls, making sure that, they're, uh, that they have good, sound food, uh, spiritual food to eat. And that's what we do. And, and so uh, that 90% is just the, the bringing them up, is making sure that they're nourished spiritually, making sure that they're not chewing on the wrong things, making sure that there's food for their soul, and there's plenty of that from the Word of God. Um, a couple of things I, I want to draw out from this passage. There are two words here that he tells them, training and instruction, training and instruction. Training are the disciplines, the physical motor skills. Children learn confidence when they master skills. It nourishes their soul. When you teach your child to uh, how to ride a bike or how to mow the grass and make it look straight and how to do the weed eating. And when you teach them how to pick up a hammer and, and, uh, and pound a nail, I know that's like so old school, right? Uh, always with uh, air nailers anymore. But uh, finding some kind of a way that that child can use their hands and do something productive, guess what happens? They get confidence from that. That needs to be in your routine. There needs to be some kind of regular way that you become uh, an instructor for your, your children and oversee that uh, to, to happen. It needs to, the, the things that they're going to have to look after on a daily basis, teaching them when they're old enough to change the oil in the car, change the tire in the car, do whatever is going to uh, need to be done so that they have confidence that they have the ability to do things and to correct things when they need correcting. So uh, they are learning to take dominion over their world and gaining the necessary strategies and building blocks to do greater things. This is the process of growth. The second part of this, uh, he says, the training and instruction. The second part has to do with what you do verbally. The first part, training, has to do with physically and, and how you help them get from point A to point B and gain that confidence. But the second part is that instruction. Dad's sitting down and just explaining life. Sitting down and, and, and saying, let me help define your reality. This is what the world looks like. The world can be a fantastic place, but there are wicked people here. There are wicked people on the planet. There are evil people on the planet. There is a great big God, and there, but there's a little bitty devil, and that little bitty devil can cause a lot of problems. And so you need to communicate to them about the world that they live in so that they have some bearings about it. Um, and so, so there are going to there are gonna be some instructions and training that they need. Let me just give you a few examples of things that your kids are going to need. Remember, we talked last week about beginning with the end in mind. And, and so these are things that human beings have to learn to deal with. Their own diet and nutrition, their good sleep habits. They're going to need to learn how to handle money. They're going to need to 
to know how to handle themselves sexually. They're going to need a work ethic. They're going to need integrity. Relationships are a key that we have to learn to help our kids navigate. They're going to need instruction about that. Conflict resolution habits. How, how well do they handle conflict and how do they get on the other side of it? It's going to make all the difference in the world in the workplace, right? Self-control. Uh, all of these things, they need training and they need instruction. So what is instruction? Let me talk to you about that um, just before we finish up today. Verbal instruction mixed with plenty of encouragement and inspiration. Teaching is a part of this process, but it's not the whole process. Let me tell you, if you just sit at the table and you tell your kids, here's what you need to know about that. Step one, step two, step three. Oh, they're going to be bored out of their gourd. They're going to fall asleep in their soup. It's not even going to be fun. You need to realize that you need to tell stories about your life, that you need to mix your teaching in with what, what your life experience was, or maybe what uh, your father, your grandfather, your, you know, the, the life experiences of others. Remember, our lives are changed by the people that we meet and the books that we read. I just shared with you a story about Laszlo Polger uh, just a minute ago. And, and you know what? You didn't know who he was before I introduced you to him. But now your life has been inspired by him at some level, or maybe you thought he was a quack. I don't know. But you got to look at what his kids have done and said, this guy set his kids up for success in the area of chess. And so, uh, you know, you and I have to look at what God is doing in people's lives and use those as building blocks for inspiration. If you're having trouble keeping your kids motivated, maybe you're not focusing them on the right heroes. Maybe you haven't told them the right stories. Maybe you haven't helped them to lift their sight above their level of their grades. Maybe you need to say to them, you know what? This is just a building block on the way to becoming a great life. So go, go live that great life. And you know, the, the schoolwork won't be a problem for you because you're focused on living a great life. Set, the, set your goals higher. So in, instead of ordering your child to do a task over and over to the point that they resent it, what if you found stories of great people and talked about what made them great? What if you did 10 times more inspiring than correcting? What if you fed their soul with inspirational stories? What if you just talked about the great things of our world and, and the great possibilities and the great challenges that great people are going to rise up and conquer at somewhere along the line? What's the point of a Mount Everest unless you can have somebody that summits Mount Everest? You've got to realize that challenges are in life so that great people can emerge and why can't they be those great people? So dominion and admonition need to be age-appropriate things. They'll take on greater challenges in life and the dual nature of dominion and admonition need to be located close together in your kids' lives. In other words, what I'm saying is train them and teach them, train them and teach them, train them and teach them. Now, I, I'm going to just say something here that maybe uh, I don't mean it uh, in a contrary way, but there are certain similarities between uh, uh, in, in training a, a human being and training a dog, okay? Can I, just t can I just say that? Okay, you don't have to agree with me. That's okay. Gospel according to Ken. I, I, was, uh, I had a, a dog trainer come to my house one time, and he, he, was, uh, he started first by training me. He started by training me because he said, you're, you're sending the dog mixed signals. 
In fact, the dog has you trained better than, <laughs> than uh, you have trained him, and I'll tell you why. And he began to tell me, he said, don't repeat your dog's name over and over and over every time he doesn't do something right. That's what I was doing. Coda, 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 stop. And, uh, you know, and so what's the dog doing? The dog is just backing away. He's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. Um, I, I, after a while, I gave him some instruction, and, and the guy said, no, you can't. You, you've got you, to give a verbal command and then make sure he obeys the verbal command because when he obeys the verbal command, he's being trained. And eventually you can do that. At first, it starts out with a long leash, and eventually you get to the place where your voice is the leash, and all you do is speak, and then the dog obeys. And, and you know, the reality is, with our kids, we can send a lot of mixed signals to them, can't we? You know, if we, if we just talk and we don't get the preferred action right off the bat, guess what can happen? They can begin to train us. They begin to train us to, to tell them three times or four times to do the thing that they should have done when you asked them the first time, and, uh, and they know not to move until the third or fourth time, or until the decibels get certain, uh, to a certain level, and then they know they better do it because you're about to blow your cool, right? And so your kids have you trained better than you have trained them, so back it up, back it up, get the training and instruction in sync. Why is that important? Because we want our kids to be successful. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9. He said, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. When you and I are establishing our home, routine and structure is vital because it's how our families learn to function. And for you and me, we probably didn't come up with the best routines and the best structures. But you know what? You as a parent, you're running to win the prize. And here's the prize. Someday, you're going to give an account before the Father the way you looked after those and stewarded those who are in your life, and that is your family. This is part of the family recipe. So let me exhort you as we close here this morning. Uh, first of all, you need to trust the, proce the process when your kids want to commit mutiny. When your kids want to tear the house down, they're not going to like this at first. But can I tell you the way discipline works? The way discipline works is you move from a desire to a discipline, and then it becomes a delight. You know, I was talking with the man this morning I told you about, about running, and, uh, and he and I were having the same conversation. I said, I don't like running. I like having run. I like what the discipline does for me. I, I grit my teeth at what I need to do to get out there. Um, I'm, I'm kind of like secretly happy when the weather is too crummy for me to go run. But you know what? I always miss it when I don't have it. You see, a discipline is like that. Eventually, it, it, you reap a reward from it. There's a harvest from the discipline. I'm not talking about punishment or correction. I'm talking about the things that are good for us that are in our lives that cause, that's the process. You need to trust the process even when your kids want a mutiny. Trust the process when you don't see what you hope to see right away. You know, we are faith people, right? And some things we're not gonna see till eternity. 
but you better believe that if you'll uh, walk with your kids and teach them to have the right disciplines, your kids are going to give you everything that you ever hoped they could do. They're going to be a delight to you in your old age. You've got to go through a season. Yeah, it's like basic training. It's boot camp, and it may last for 18 years in your family life, maybe even longer. But you know what? When, when it gets to the place where they have to take responsibility for their lives and get up and go to work and, and, then, and then hold down the fort and take care of a family and do what's necessary, you know what? You put the discipline in and they'll be able to do it. And you'll look at that and you'll say, wow, I had a hand in that. I helped to make that happen. It wasn't easy. A lot of these gray hairs, they came from that. But I, I was able to do it, you know. And so trust the process when you don't see um, what you hope to see right away. Lastly, trust the process when everyone around you bucks the system that you are trying to create in your family. You know what? You're not going to give an account for your neighbor's family. You're not going to give an account for the, the kids across the street. You're not going to give an account uh, for the kids that your kids hang out with at school. Uh, you're going to give an account for your family. Stick by your convictions. Be a person that's got convictions about the routine and the structure of your home and how you do things and, and live by that. Find what works and then keep working it. Trust the process. It'll bless you if you do. And it'll take so much pressure off your life. Let me tell you, discipline is, a, is part of how God wired up the world. It's how he created the world with wisdom. He causes systems to work together for our good. And we have to discover the secret of discipline in our lives. And we got to walk that out. So let me ask you today, what, in what area do you really need to trust the system, to trust the process, to make sure things are working? What areas do you need to tune up? What areas do you need to schedule better? Can I just encourage you? I'm going to pray for you right now that God would give you uh, the insights you need in your family. Father, I just thank you, Lord, that part of the family recipe is routine and structure. Lord, our kids need it. They really crave it, even though it doesn't seem like it when we try to get them to buckle down and do it. Lord, they'll be blessed if we will walk through the process and help them over uh, the difficult times, and soon they'll begin to crave it. Father, I just pray for all of our families that we would trust the process, that we would be all about uh, routine and structure in our home so that you can bless our families the way you really, really want to. I thank you for that today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you. See you soon.